So today, man, I feel God's presence. <laughs> um, today's part three of our series on spiritual gifts. And the most uh, funny thing about this is to me is I'm going to be talking about a little bit of church history, which can be boring. The parts I'm reading I don't think are boring. But, you know, um, in Bible college once, and it was a church history class, and the Spirit of God fell in the class, and we ended up praying through the whole entire class in church history. And I was like, that was the best church history class I had. Because the church history that we study was mostly just about people that got martyred and, and Paul's missionary journeys and stuff like that. They didn't really focus on some of the really amazing stories that happened, like in France and other places where the guy got his head cut off and he, came, he held his head under his armpit and kept preaching the gospel while his head is in his hand. There's a statue of that, in, I believe it's in France right now, uh, it's still up to this day. There's a tradition of the power of God that's gone out through the world, and we've been told the opposite in so many ways. Can you imagine seeing that? You just killed this guy, and he's like, he's still preaching to you. It's like, it's like we talked about Thursday, Balaam. He's talking to his donkey like it's a normal, everyday thing. Like, you stupid donkey, you crushed my leg. And he's, the donkey's talking back to him, and he's just like, it's no big deal. I don't know what he was thinking, but the last three weeks we've been talking about, this is the third week, the gifts of spirit and looked at Ephesians 4, 7, which says, but to each one of us, grace has been given according to the measure of Christ's gift. How we measure that gift, I don't know. But he's, it's, been, it's been given to each one of us. And verse 16 tells us that the body of Christ will grow as every part does its work. As every joint supplies, the body of Christ will grow. So everyone has a part to play in the kingdom. Amen. It's not just the pastor or this guy or that guy. It's every single person who's a believer in Christ has an important part to play in God's kingdom. Amen? And that's part of the pastor, the evangelist, the apostle, teacher, uh, prophet's job is to activate, train, motivate, send out the body of Christ to do the works of the ministry. Not to come to church and sit and listen and come back next week and sit and listen. Come back for 50 years, sit and listen. That is, was never in God's design plan for us to do. Church attendance, I mean, he says, don't, don't forbid the forsaking together of the, don't forsake the gathering together of the saints. Yes, of course, we're supposed to be a church, but we're supposed to be the church. This is just a building. We're supposed to be the church. God lives in us, not just in this building, you know. So uh, once we're trained, like we talked about a little while ago, we're going to be sending people out and doing the works of Jesus. Isn't that what he said he wanted to have happen? Yes. Yeah. And then last week I talked about the love of God and how the love of God is the greatest spiritual gift that there is. And if you can believe that God loves you, like genuinely believe it, 24-7, no matter what you're going through or facing, the gifts of the Spirit and hearing God's voice will be easier and easier for you to walk in. Because you're just walking with, your, with Father God, just like, okay, God, what do you want to do today? Well, you see that guy over there? He is hurting. And I want you to go encourage him. Go buy him lunch or go do this or something. And but these these gifts are not going to flow in you, the way God fully desire designed them and desires them to happen in your life if you don't believe that God loves you. Because these gifts work through love, faith works through love. This whole thing is rooted and grounded in the love of God. Your motivational factor of everything we do and say to somebody needs to flow from the heart of Jesus and love. Amen? Amen. So when you get there. The gifts flow a lot easier. Amen. So we're going to look at church, some church history uh, with you guys today. And I just, this question, have you ever wondered how the church got to where it is today? Like what in the world happened? How do we go from Acts 2 
How do we go from Acts, the whole book of Acts, and Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, how do we go from there to what the church looks like today? How did that happen? Well, I'm going to show you some of the things. Of course, you can't go through thousands of years of history, but I can show you some things. But uh, there's a big difference, isn't there? Yeah. And over time, the belief in miracles, signs, and wonders uh, have been, which you know used to be a force in the church, used to be a powerful thing in the church, just very recognized, it can become this thing of like, hmm, we don't need that anymore. We don't, we don't need that. And uh, I, I think, I'm pretty sure God has a different opinion <laughs> on that. But I'm going to show you today how it became so common, this downward spiral uh, in the church universal, to get to a place where we don't really, if you, if denying the power of God is denying Jesus. Right. I mean, you read the, what the Bible says, denying the power thereof, don't have anything to do with him. Okay? It is a, the gospel is a gospel message of power. Right? What does it say? I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ because it's the power of God. I need to do some, yeah, I'm going to do some Apostle Henry. Pah! The power of God unto salvation. It's the power of God. So let's look at a little church history. First, 367 AD, the Bible was canonized. That's when the Bible came together. They all came into agreement on which books made the cut, which ones they believe were inspired, which ones they believe they were not. In 381 AD, Emperor Constantine's son, the new emperor of Rome made Christianity the exclusive religion of the state. Anyone who dared subscribe to any other religion was subject to punishment. As a result, hordes of unconverted pagans filled the churches, bringing with them their heathen ideas and practices. So even though this young guy had, a, had good intentions, most likely, to make Christianity the predominant, you know, only religion of, of Rome in the, in the Roman area, Basically, when you make it a form, when you try to legalize morality, you try to legalize Christianity, don't you have to do this? It's not going to work. So they, what you end up, all these people came to the church, but they weren't really born again. So then they bring in their their character, their nature, their pagan beliefs and stuff, and it infiltrated the church. So even though this guy meant it for good, the devil turned it around and used it for evil. And John um, Chrysostom said. Com complained that the character of the church of his day was no different than that of the marketplace or the theater. There's no difference in the character in the church and in those other places because everyone was now coming to them because they had to. And he went on to say later that when true religion took root in all the world, miracles ceased. Is there any wonder that miracles seem to have ceased in his perspective, in his environment, when all these people came to the churches and their characters like this, and they're bringing all these other religions and pagan practices into the church, is it no wonder he's not really seeing miracles because they're not really preaching the true gospel because it's been watered down through unbelief and other beliefs. So you may have heard of Augustine. It's not where St. Augustine was named after. I looked it up just in case it was. but and It wasn't where uh, the month of August came from either. But St. Augustine uh, in 430 A.D., he was an undisputed theologian of his time, and his, theolo his theology uh, was very common and predominant for over a thousand years. His thought greatly influenced um, Martin Luther, John Calvin, and many other people. In fact, the, much of his theology is in Catholicism and Protestantism, is rooted in his thought, and it greatly impacted the Western world. Here's what he had to say in 430 A.D., he said, weak temporal faith of the early church required the visible miraculous novelties. Even that is just how it's worded. It's like, ugh, it's a novelty. But anyway, 
to get people to believe. It was to kindle faith. Then he goes on to say, the blind body does not now open its eyes by a miracle of the Lord, but the blinded heart opens its eyes to the world of the Lord. The physical corpse does not now rise again, but the soul rises again, which, which lies dead in the living body. The deaf ears of the bodies are not now opened, but, but how many uh, who have the ears of their hearts closed, let them fly open at the penetrating word of God. So basically they're going, they're emphasizing that the day of miracles has ceased. And this belief is called sensationalism. And sensationalism has gone through the church in, you name whatever denomination you want to name, it can be any denomination, Pentecostal to Methodist to whatever. And this has predominantly gone into the church and it's, it started with some of these guys' writings. Thomas uh, Aquinas, in 1274 AD, he was a predominant thinker in the Middle Ages. He combined the science and philosophy of Aristotle with revealed truth of Christianity, which helped move Christianity from experience into reasoning. Well, let's be reasonable. You ever heard that in church? Let's be reasonable, brother. Come on, let's be reasonable. God doesn't do that anymore. God wouldn't do this. God wouldn't do that. And we brought reason and logic into the church, which is wrapped up in uh, doubt and unbelief and other skepticisms and stuff like that. And it's not believing what God says is true. Amen? All right, Holy Spirit, like I said, can come on you at any given moment, even while I'm talking about church history. So this guy, Thomas Aquinas, he said, miracles once were once required as scaffolding for the church, which once established this is, is in scripture, tradition, and institution, no longer required such support. Miracles and prophecy were replaced by piety and study of scripture. Wow. That's because that's all we need, right? That's what the lost needs is just the uh, piety and uh, let me, you go do your thing. I'm going to study the Bible. How about be in the Bible? Yeah. Amen. Have the Bible being in us. But anyway, on October 31st, 1517, Martin Luther nailed the 95th thesis to the door. You guys know this story probably. In Wittenberg Castle in Germany marked the beginning of the Protestant Reformation, which was for the most part good. And there was some parts that weren't good because when they, some of the bad theology they already had where they're in, in the Catholic, because it was only, Catholic means universal church. When it was just the one church, there was good beliefs that they had in there. But there was also beliefs that weren't, bad, weren't good. And some of those carried over into Protestantism. But Luther, um, let's see, his view on healing was that God had a blueprint plan and seemed to believe sickness was a gift to humble us and teach us something. Luther is thought to, by some to have been against miracles in the supernatural. So this is probably where this thought came from, and actually came from Augustine before him, that uh, God put sickness on us to teach us this lesson. And that's just part of his chastening, his punishment, his, his training of his children, because he, he chastens those that he loves and that kind of thing. And that's, this, this belief just became more predominant, over time. How many of you have ever heard that in church before? Right? That's coming from a long time ago, though. This is where it came from. So Martin Luther, his beliefs changed over time as he experienced the supernatural. I'll share more about that after. John Calvin, 1564. He was an influential French theologian. You guys have heard of him. His theology is involved in the Presbyterian Church, the uh, Baptist churches, congregational churches. But he, he he was a principal figure in the development of those doctrines, especially the doctrine of predestination and absolute sovereignty over man with, in regards to salvation. And he was, again, influenced by, by uh, Augustine. 
but John Calvin and others continued to reform, as they continued to reform the Protestant church, there was challenges. And one of these major challenges was, for the reformers, was there was a widespread belief that miracles proved correct doctrine. So that's what they, they, there was a general consensus back in the day that miracles proved that their theology was right. But we know that's not true today, but that's what they believed. Therefore, when they witnessed a miracle from someone that they knew had flawed doctrine, they would assume that miracle is counterfeit. For example, in the Catholic Church, even though they had flawed doctrine in regard to selling uh, certificates for heaven and other areas that were just very ungodly, they still witnessed miracles, many of which happened when they took communion. I tell you, if that's in our church history, I want that back. And I've said that before, again and again, as we take communion together. If people are getting healed uh, during communion in our, in our history of the Catholic Church, and it's, which, which came, you know, we came out of that, and it's, but it's part of our roots, that they can get healed in their body while they take communion, then maybe I want it, because it's Jesus, amen? But because they believe this, you know, miracles for proving of right doctrine, they would not accept it. So because of this belief that miracles prove correct doctrine and the fact that Catholics were seeing miracles, Calvin and others who were already trying to separate themselves completely from the Catholics also separated themselves from miracles. This is part of what happened in our church history that was part of the problem. So because of this strong belief by Calvin and others, if someone prayed for the sick and they were healed, it would be considered a counterfeit miracle and you could be judged as a witch and sentenced to death. So you go from one extreme where they're legalizing Christianity to the point where there's no other, uh, there's no other religion allowed, and this happened, and then you go to the opposite stream, if there's a miracle happen, we're going to kill you. <laughs> oh, man. So uh, many Catholics and Protestants had a problem also with the Anabaptists. The Anabaptists didn't believe in infant baptism. Many, be many believed we should be baptized after we were born again. They didn't believe, the, the um, Catholics and the Reformers didn't believe that. And the Anabaptists also believed in spiritual gifts, and they could hear God for themselves. So these differences in others caused the Reformers and the Catholics to kill like 50,000 Anabaptists over this issue. This is part of our church history. This has been the fight over spiritual gifts throughout church history, over the gifts of God, the gifts of spirit. The Anabapt Anabaptism was made a capital crime, and prices were on their, set on their heads, to give them food or shelter was a crime. The Duke of uh, Barvia in 1527 gave orders that the imprisoned Anabaptists should be burned at the stake unless they recanted, in which case they would just be beheaded. It's either way they're going to die if they recanted or not, but they're either going to be burned at the stake or they're going to be beheaded. All because they believed they, they didn't believe in infant baptism and all because they believed in miracles and they believed in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Okay, um, the scientific revolution in 1543 to 1687 helped produce skepticism in the church in England, Germany, and eventually here in the United States. Skepticism denies miracles and tries to explain away the supernatural. Well, that just happened because of this, or that guy, they're just an emotionalist, or that guy's just whatever, or she's this way or that way. The same way we have today in our liberal professors are doing in seminaries taking out the power of God, rewriting the Bible, rewriting church history, burning, I mean, people have burnt documents of church history that testifies to the power of God all throughout history. But yet they don't want us to know for some reason. Who do you think doesn't want us to know? Is it really the college professor? They're not the enemy, amen? 
There's someone else who really doesn't want us to know about the power of God because he doesn't want you to walk in the power of God. Amen? Amen. So also, this uh, Cyrus Schofield. Some of you guys might have a Schofield Bible. Well, there's stuff in there that's not good. Um, he was heavily influenced by uh, dis- dispensationalist John Nelson Darby, and uh, he believed there was basically seven dispensations of time where God dealt with people differently during those times. In this system, miracles ceased when the apostles died. And this, these views were widely shared in his study notes of his Bible, the Schofield Bible, which I knew friends of Bible college, there was quite a few of them that had them, is widely spread through his, through his Bible and his study notes, that the day of miracles stopped when the apostles died. Yet, there is not one Bible verse that says that's going to happen. Not one. And there's no proof in his, throughout church history that that has happened. Yet it's very predominant in the church. You know, of course, the devil breathed on this, amen. He, he helped, not that he can breathe life, he put death in this and just let this message spread further and further because he doesn't, he's afraid of the power of God. The power of God was going to bind him up forever. He's afraid of the power of God. But one more here, B.B. Warfield was a professor of theology at Princeton Seminary. In 1918, he had this book called Counterfeit Miracles. His influenced by Augustine and others too. He said that the Lord had not performed a single miracle on the earth since the death of the original 12 apostles and those directly associated with him. And this is some of the predominant voices that's going out there during this time. And it's the reason why the church, Universal, looks the way it does today. You know, if you go to, you go to Germany and places in Europe today, some of these big, massive churches, these beautiful buildings are completely empty. They're empty. They're, they're museums now. And they're just going to, are amazed at the architecture, but not amazed by God. Okay? We need the power. If this world needs something today, it needs the power of God in our lives. So Randy Clark said when B.B. Warford put the, he put the last nail in the coffin, so to speak, as far as the widespread acceptance in North America, that the day of miracles has, 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 has happened. It stopped. Everything ceased. So Pope Gregory once said, while he was counting a bunch of his money, he said, no longer can the church say silver and gold have I none, which Thomas Aquinas replied, yes, but neither can it say rise and walk. Guys, I know these things are direct, they're straightforward or whatever, but God poured out his spirit in Acts 2 for a reason. It wasn't just so those guys could pray in tongues. It wasn't just so they'd have fire on their head or a good story to tell their kids. Bless you in Jesus' name. He poured out his spirit for a reason. If those 12 guys and how it continued after them could have that much impact on the world after Jesus went to heaven, how much more can we have? There's so many more of us than 12 around the world. It was 12 only. And then it went, you know, of course, spread from there. Of course, 12, 72, and then 500, whatever. But it spread. How much more could we do if we just believe what God says is true? Yes. So uh, these events and others had a major impact on the church, which is why we've seen this disintegration of miracles in the church and why we've seen that it's okay for people to walk in off the street you know, bound and whatever. They walk out, 
Their life's not changed. Their life's not transformed. There's no difference. You can't tell the difference between a Christian or a non-Christian. There's no difference. They can't, like to the world, they, they can't tell the difference. They're watching the same TV shows. They're going to the same movies. They're doing all the same stuff. Neither one of them like to pray. Neither one of them like, what's the difference? <laughs> oh, man, I wasn't playing on that part. That's a freebie right there. It actually reminded me of a joke. There was a guy bought, <laughs> bought 12 bees. And then he, when he was counting, he told the guy, like, hey, wait, there's 13 here. He goes, oh, that's okay. That's a freebie. <laughs> oh, yeah, it was bad as when I read it before. But um, the church today looks like it's on life support. But praise God, Jesus is the resurrection and the life. He is. And we need, we need to have that, those machines, well, the defibrillators are clear clear and what are they doing they're releasing power releasing electricity into your body to get your heart back going again uh, I believe that he is the resurrection he is resurrecting his church and I believe he is renewing his church he's restoring his church he's reviving his church to his original design and I believe he's releasing his church to impact this world once again I bless you in Jesus name you know, uh, many of these men that wrote these things long ago, they later recanted what they, what they wrote. They recanted the things that they said they believed, but those documents are really hard to find. And those ones are ones were destroyed. Because uh, um, even, uh, even Augustine, near the end of his life, he wrote a book called City of God. And in it, he reputed his earlier position he had said, which influenced the church in a mass way, and he recorded over 70 miracles that he saw in just two years. Which, uh, let me read you some of these. These are a little different. You have to remember the time frame of this. But uh, it all begins in 415 AD with the discovery of the bones of the martyr Stephen. <laughs> oh my gosh. Can you, I couldn't imagine us doing some of this stuff sometimes. But um, Some of these relics were brought to his church, his Augustine's church. And in 424, two weeks before Easter, as he was preparing to conduct the services, a young man who was troubled, both he and his sister, with convulsive seizures, was suddenly healed. For two weeks, this man and his sister had come to the reliquatory, which is a container that used to hold these holy objects and relics. So if I said it wrong, then we don't use that word anymore anyway, but it's a box, basically, with a glass box. They put these relics in. Of, of, eight, of saints. So they had this in the sanctuary of uh, Augustine's church to pray for healing. Suddenly he fell down as if dead. Augustine was in the hallway preparing for the processional. The people were frightened by the fall of the young man and feared he had died. Suddenly the young man rose to his feet, staring back at the crowd of people. It was apparent to all that he had been healed. He was now normal. And all he had done was go up and was looking at the bones and praying. Like, like this guy carried something. This guy wasn't afraid to die. This guy, this guy, anyway, the, Stephen was special. On the third day after Easter, Augustine read the young man's testimony while both brother and sister stood on the, on the steps, of the, the choir steps, so the whole congregation could see them. One quite normal, the other still trembling. Augustine then asked them to sit down and was given his, was given his sermon on St. Stephen. When he was interrupted by loud cries, the young woman had gone straight to the shrine to pray like her brother had done, and exactly the same thing had happened to her. Once more, she stood before the people, this time healed, and in Augustine's own words, 
praise to God was shouted so loud that my ears could scarcely stand the din. I bless you in Jesus' name. I bless you in Jesus' name. But of course, the main point was that in the hearts of all the clamoring crowd, there burned that faith in Christ for which the martyr Stephen shed his blood. You know, stories like that, bless you in Jesus' name. There's stories like that in the Old Testament. How about when that guy was died and they threw his bones into the cave of where Elijah was, and, or Elisha, one of them, and they touched his bones and he came back to life. Remember that? You're that guy. You, you just threw your buddy in there because these bandits were coming. I bless you in Jesus' name. And next thing you know, he walks out. Hey, you need some help. <laughs> what? Like, that'd be, that'd be wild. That's a church. That's a church. That's the power of God. I bless you in Jesus' name. I bless you in Jesus' name. Augustine later said, for even now, miracles are wrought in the name of Christ, whether by sacraments or by prayer or the relics of the saints. I don't know if we'll add that one to our church here, but it's, it's pretty wild. Augustine then proceeded to describe various miracles that he witnessed, it. he witnessed, which included healing from blindness, cancer, gout, hemorrhoids, demonic oppression, and even the raising of the dead. Some were healed by simple prayer and reported, and another report was, he said, a paralytic was healed at the moment of his baptism. Come on. Sacraments. Communion and baptism. What we talk about, baptism happened in Uganda? They baptized this paralytic, and he came out walking. I bless you in Jesus' name. We baptized 100 in Uganda. They come up praying in tongues. Some of them came up demonized, and they had to get some help getting free. It's the power of God and these things he told us to do. Remember, do this in remembrance of me. Remember who I am. Remember what I did. Remember what I paid for. Don't let anybody tell you different. I bless you in Jesus' name. I bless you in Jesus' name. I bless you in Jesus' name. Again, Luther was thought by some to have been against miracles and the supernatural, but Luther himself said that he had an experience similar to Paul's where he was caught up to the third heaven. We need to tell that in some Presbyterian churches. I mean, the history is the history. That was one thing that bothered me in my Methodist background is John Wesley. Amazing stories, but they never tell the good ones. I mean, that guy walked in miracles. So uh, one, also one of Luther's friends mentioned numerous prophecies spoken by Luther that were fulfilled. So there's miracles. There's prophecies he's experiencing. Luther also prayed for the healing of the sick. Luther is quoted as saying, Often it has happened, and still does, that devils have been driven out in the name of Jesus Christ. Also by calling on his name in prayer, the sick have been healed. A mighty fortress is our God. Amen. <laughs> I just thought it's a Presbyterian thing, but, um, but you, know what the, you know what the last line that song and the fourth stanza is, one of the lines is? The gifts and the Spirit are ours. They always skip that verse. Look it up. It's on page 105 in your hymnal, and you're there in your seats there, the green books. Page 105. Luther wrote that song, and he said, the gifts of the Spirit, they are ours. Um, on one occasion, Luther's close friend Philip was at death's door. Luther took him by the hand and said, be of good courage, Philip. You shall not die. Immediately, he revived and, and soon regained his health. On another occasion, Luther's colleague Frederick was laying dying in the final stages of tuberculosis. When Luther heard about his friend's condition, he wrote him a letter, and in the letter he said this, I command thee in the name of God to live, because I still have need of thee for the work of the reforming of the church. 
The Lord will never let me hear that thou art dead, but permit thee to survive me or live longer than me. For this I am praying that, for I am praying this, this is my will, and may my will be done. Man, I've never prayed that, but that is bold prayer, isn't it? Yes. Martin Luther. And because I seek only to glorify the name of God. That's what his quote. So he sent this letter to Frederick. Frederick opened the letter, and when he read the letter, it was like he heard Lazarus come forth, and the guy was healed, and he outlived Luther by two years. Two, two months, sorry, by two months. <laughs> That's amazing. I bless you in Jesus' name. Actually, our hymnal is 151, in case you want to double-check it, but it says, the spirit and the gifts are ours, in the fourth stanza. In uh, History of the Christian Church, page 406, volume 3, it describes Luther as a prophet, an evangelist, a speaker in tongues, an interpreter, in one person, endowed with all the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Let's put that back in the Lutheran Church. And in the Presbyterian Church or Methodist Church, whatever other churches are out there, the word is the word, is the word, is the word, is the word. It can't be changed by man. Um, are we going to believe the cessationists that have spread this stuff into the church? Are we going to believe Jesus who said, the works that I do, you'll do, and greater works than these will you do because I'm going to the Father? It's now your turn to do what I did. It's now your turn to do these things. I bless you in Jesus' name. So even though we see a strong emphasis uh, stating that the gifts have ceased throughout church history, um, we don't see this in the life of Jesus. Um, in fact, we see the opposite. And we don't see this in church history. We see the opposite. Let me tell you some fun stories from church history of some miracles. Um, Tertullian, 225 AD, was known as the father of Latin theology. In a, a treatise of the soul, Tertullian says, for seeing that we acknowledge the spiritual charismata, or gifts, we too have merited and attained of the prophetic gift. I just want to explain a word here. Charismatic, charismata. The word is the word from charis, which is Andrew Warmick's Bible College. It's called charis, and it means grace gifts, gifts of grace, okay? Our salvation, the gifts of spirit, righteousness, peace, joy, all those are grace gifts. Everything in the Bible is a grace gift that he has for us. So he go, this is a Tertullian. He goes on to tell us of this woman in his congregation to praise God for women in ministry. Amen. I bless the women in this house, that I'm not talking to the men in here. I am not talking to the men in here only. Men and women, it's time to be the sons and daughters of God. The church history tried to steal that too. They tried to, and I can't go to a whole teaching on this, explaining what those three verses in the Bible talk about women. I can explain the context of that. I've done it here before. Don't have time today. But God... Jesus walked with women. He taught women. They spoke. We already saw a few weeks ago there was a woman apostle. There was a woman, there was women prophetesses, Philip's uh, daughters. And there was also uh, um, other speakers and evangelists that were women. And for the most part, and what I see, women can do it better than men in a lot of ways. <laughs> Just saying, I think they can in a lot of ways. Um, but he goes on to talk about a woman in his church whose lot it had been to be favored with the gifts of revelation. He's talking about prophecy. According to Tertullian, she often experienced visitations from angels and from the Lord himself. That's the kind of woman you want to hang around with, right? She often knew the secrets of people's hearts and was able to give answers to some of the deepest needs, including healing. That's on page 17 if you want to go look it up. Uh, Origen was uh, 254 AD, was known as a church, church's first systematic theologian. These big words, but... When Origen was 16 years old, his, he witnessed his father being martyred for his faith. 
in origin wrote in several places how Christians expel evil spirits and performed many cures. In one of his letters, it states, baptism itself was sometimes the means by which a serious illness was cured. I'm, I'm pointing these ones out on purpose. I'm telling you, there's power in baptism. It's not, just a, it's not just symbolic. There's spiritual power. We are baptized into his death, and we're raised into resurrection newness of life. Everything, in our, everything about us should shift and change. We're raised into resurrection of newness of life. Amen. And there, uh, and there were Christians living on to this day at that time, giving their lives to the church because of such experiences as being healed or during baptism or whatever. Um, Gregorian, uh, let's see, he's called Gregory the Theologian. He says, the power of God was there manifested and was helpful both in waking visions and in dreams, often for the relief of many diseases. So they're having, people are having dreams and visions, and they're getting physically healed of whatever's going on in their bodies because of dreams and visions they're having. And yet the church will say that there's, no, there's not dreams and visions anymore, even though the Bible says in the last days he's going to pour his spirit on all flesh, and sons and daughters will prophesy. They're going to see dreams and visions. Old men, young men, old women, handmaidens, ever he's going to pour his spirit on all flesh, and they're going to have these things. And I didn't know that they're going to get, you can even get healed through them, but yeah, you can't put limits on God. I can get healed when I'm sleeping. I have it just, I'm going to go to bed and have a, have a snooze, wake up better. Oh, praise God, I had a good dream. <laughs> the best one ever. Yeah, that's awesome. So Gregory tells of two healings from his immediate family. His sister was dragged by a team of mules. and was so hurt that no one thought she would live. She was saved by the prayers of the congregation. She was healed again years later when she developed a terrible disease. She had an extremely high fever and had uh, comatose-like experiences. The physician could not help her. She was healed when she went into the church and took the bread of the, of the presence, or the Eucharist, which is the communion bread, and rubbed it all over her body. Now, I don't know if the priest was there that day or not, or whatever, but she took the bread of communion, the Eucharist, the same word, the bread of his presence, the same word, and rubbed it all over her body, and she was healed. The healing is the children's bread. Amen. It belongs in the church. It belongs to the body of Christ. Amen. This is absolutely amazing to me, that miracles and healings and baptism and communion. So next time we do communion, next time we do baptisms, I'm not saying you ought to rub it all over yourself or whatever. Maybe, maybe you know, it's a little wafer cracker or whatever, piece, whatever. I don't know. But I'm just telling you, there's power in the church. There's power in the resurrected body of Jesus, the broken body of Jesus, the shed blood of Jesus, for you and for me to walk in the power of God. It's the power of God unto salvation. Gregory's father was a bishop. He was healed uh, with a celebration of Mass, which is also communion. And his mother was healed through a spiritual dream. So, so far we have seen a woman uh, with a strong prophetic gift, which is a charismatic gift, charisma, we see healing through baptism and communion and healing through dreams and visions. And why would anyone want to say no to that other than the devil? All right, there were four historians, uh, main th uh, historians in church history for the first 600 years. All of them record miracles. One historian tells uh, how uh, Matharuas, 
the bishop of Mesopotamia, whatever, cured the Persian king of headaches, which the Magi had not been able to relieve. And from there, he was permitted to, uh, because he helped them, he was able to uh, plant churches anywhere he wanted to with the king's permission. Because he healed the king of headaches. Of course, God healed him, but he used him to do it. Talk about favor. Open doors. Guess what? God's still doing the same things today. He's still doing the same things today. Gregory the Great in 560 AD, the prefect of Rome, which is administrative leadership role. Gregory records many miracles of which he had performed uh, personal knowledge, including the raising of the dead. And Gregory tells this wild story of this bishop and this pope and a monk Sounds like a joke right now, but it's really, <laughs> that's really not a joke. Maybe I should just read it. <laughs> but anyway, but Greg tells the story of a boy. He was drawing water out of the river, and he had his bucket in the river, and it was the river was going so high, it just pulled him right into the river. And so this uh, monk, the leader uh, of this monastery, was praying. He had this sort of knowledge and a vision, and he saw this boy coming down the river. And he told, let's see the guy's name here. He told Benedict to go run down to the river at this place as fast as he can, and you're going to see this boy coming down the river, and you need to save his life. So he obeys his spiritual leader, runs down there, because this other guy was too old to do it himself. He ran down there. He sees the boy coming down the river, and he, he didn't pay attention. He actually ran right out onto the water, didn't know that he did it, pulled, grabbed the kid by the hair, and dragged him up to the land on, on, to safety, and realized, oh, man, I just, I just walked on water. I didn't even know that I did it. But what was it? Faith works by love. Was he, he wasn't trying to tell that for a good story. trying to save that kid's life. Word of knowledge. Visions. Spiritual gifts. Saving lives. Transforming lives. Changing lives. It's the power of God and salvation. The uh, Bernard of uh, Claire, Claire Varx. I guess I need to know how French to say that one. But Bernard gained recognition because of the many miracles that occurred in his ministry. It was reported from all quarters, sick persons were conveyed to him by the friends who sought from him a cure. The lame were healed and people were delivered from countless diseases and infirmities. On one occasion, a deaf mute boy was instantly able to both hear and to speak as a result of Bernard's prayers. And a monk tells a story of a young boy who having been given, was blind from birth, received his sight through the prayers of Bernard. And as his eyes opened, the boy shouted, I can see, I can see, I can see everybody. I can see people with hair. And clapping his hands in delight, he explained, my God, now I will no longer dash my feet against a stone when I walk home. The power of God unto salvation. Jesus is the same. I believe I read this somewhere. Is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Theologians and demonic principalities and forces of evil will try to believe us to believe that things have changed. It's just, come on, we have logic now. We have reasoning now. We have the Bible now. We have all this. We don't need the Holy Spirit. We don't need these gifts. We don't need these things. And that's why the church looks exactly like it does today. That's why the country looks like it does today. That's why the world looks like it does today. They've tried to kick God out of the church, and he is the head of the church. I bless you in Jesus' name. He's the head of the church. Jesus is the head of the church, and what he says goes. We're supposed to look like him. We're supposed to look like him. We should be clones of him. I bless you in Jesus' name. We, we should look like him. Bless you in Jesus' name. The love of God flowing through us. The power of God flowing through us. Like him. Now, I know you can't make it happen, but it's definitely never going to happen if we don't believe what he said. St. Francis of Azizi. I just have a few more. Uh, you guys like these stories? 
All right, I love him too. The order was endowed with great spiritual power. It had been called perhaps the most thoroughly charismatic order in its primitive period that the church has ever known. This is 1226 A.D., St. Francis Azizi. It was called the most charismatic order possibly that they've ever known. It doesn't have a lot of stories, but there's going to involve grace gifts. Grace gifts. What do you think is really going to distinguish your life from somebody else's? Your haircut? You know, what is it? You guys, you got short hair, not long hair? You got, what, what, what's gonna, what, how are they going to tell? How are they going to know? It's the power of God. It's the power of God. Love of God. St. Francis Xavier, he's a Jesuit in 1552. Xavier University in Cincinnati, Ohio was named after him. In his mission to the Far East, he is said to have spoken Japanese as if he lived there his whole life. He spoke in many other various languages with ease as basically God just downloaded him these languages. Would you say that's a grace gift? Yes. I would say for what? The power of God and salvation? I would say it's definitely a grace gift. Now, all of these lived after the apostles, and almost all of them are after the, the Bible was canonized or finished. And it historically disproves the demonic teaching of cessationalism. Because that's really where the heart comes from. Not calling these people, whatever, they, that's what they believe, what they believe for a reason, whatever. But the, the root cause behind the theology was the devil himself. Because the devil is the one that comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I bless you in Jesus' name. He's the one who came to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus can even have life, have it more abundantly, have it to the full till it overflows. Jesus said, I came to destroy the works of the devil. So why would he take away the gifts that are used to destroy the works of the devil and say they don't need them anymore because there's no such thing as a devil? Oh, man, that's good. It's not right. All right. This doesn't even mention in church history the Quakers. There's a reason they get that name. You know? It wasn't like Daffy Duck and Quackers and Quakers. It was like whatever. It was, they, they would sit in the presence of God and no one would say a word. And all of a sudden, the power of God would come on them. And men, women, children start to tremble and quake and shake under the power of God. As God's maybe setting them free from something. Maybe he's just encouraging them, blessing them or something. It's all throughout church history. Some of you guys maybe have family that grew up in the Quakers. There's the Moravians. Bravian Falls and all the miracle testimonies from there. There's John Wesley and the Mennonites. Amazing, amazing miracles and testimonies that he experienced. Or how about the first and second great awakening? All the salvations, all the baptisms, all the healings, the deliverances that happened across the denominational lines with just Jesus being Jesus all over the place. How about Charles Finney? The whole city of Rochester, every bar was shut down because everyone's in church because they're all saved. Their lives are totally changed. The power of God. How about D.L. Moody? Or Smith Wigglesworth? Can you tell me the day of miracles have gone? We got some like Smith Wigglesworth walking around? How about William Seymour and the Zusa Street Revival? I still think that's very ironic. I just tell you that his name's William Seymour and he could only see less because he had and he had one bad eye. <laughs> I thought it was very ironic. And I don't know if he was ever healed of that or not, but I thought it was very ironic ironic of God. But yeah, he's like Anyway, um, but he saw stuff that I want to see. I want to see. Someone's arm going back from the shoulder all the way out. It was crushed in a logging accident. It was broken off right there. All of a sudden, they just grew out in the service. The fingernails, skin, bones, everything, blood, just grew out. I bless you in Jesus' name. That's God. 
That's God. How can anyone deny that? This guy went back to work after his arm grew back. I bless you both in Jesus' name. I saw you. Whether you're going to the bathroom or not, I bless you in Jesus' name. Um, the guy went back home, told his boss he wanted his job back because he couldn't work with one arm. Got his job back. He wanted to know what happened. Told him what happened. Went back to Azusa, to the church service, with 200 of his friends, and then they all get touched, saved, healed, and delivered by the power of God. Amen? How about John G. Lake? In Spokane, Washington, in the United States of America, named it the healthiest city in the, in the country. Gave them awards for it. He saw 150,000 documented miracles in five years. That's not to mention ones that were not documented. He had many people trained how to go out and pray for the sick. He said, don't come back until they're healed. Don't come back for your next assignment until you get this person healed. Don't come back. Either they're healed or they're dead. Don't come back. And uh, <laughs> he had a whole way of teaching them. But guess what? They had results. 150,000 in five years. Okay. Um, how about William Branham? I know he gets a bad rap for some of his theology that he kind of went off the deep end on some things. And he definitely did on some things. But he had an amazing healing gift. That was definitely from God. And the guy is like everybody he prayed for would get healed. And sometimes he'd have lines outside of his house in the night when he's trying to sleep with his family. And they'd be honking the horn or banging on his door. My kid's about to die. Can you go out and pray for them? He'd be like, oh, God, give me strength. And he'd go out and pray for them almost every time. And they'd get healed. I mean, it was an amazing gift. Oral Roberts, T.L. Osborne. Kenneth Hagen, Renhard Bunky, Andrew Womack, Randy Clark, Bill Johnson, and Plumtree Church. Amen. Amen. Bless you in Jesus' name. I bless you all in Jesus' name. Amen. I bless you all in Jesus' name at the same time. Um, it is for today. It is for today. Like today, today. Okay? And so I didn't tell you all these stories and not believe God for miracles today. We're, in the, we're living in the day of miracles. There is never an end to the day of miracles till we get to heaven. Because then it's another whole miracle of itself, of heaven. But now, God wants you to walk in these things. Because he loves you and he loves people. Part of the whole teaching of Gnosticism that went through the church in early history was all to make people, part of the big reason was to make people believe that God doesn't care about the body. But only about the spiritual things that matter. But God cares about the body. That's why he suffered in his body. He suffered in his body. He suffered in, on his head with a crown of thorns driven into him. He suffered so you could be made well. So if you need some kind of physical healing in your body today, I, you can just stand where you are. And we want to pray now and believe God for miracles. Amen? He is the same. He is the same. We don't have to twist his arm like, please, God, do this. He's the same. Amen? So does anyone here need uh, any kind of physical healing? It can be shoulder thing, neck thing, back thing. Thank you. Yeah, there's no shame in it. There's no shame in it. Thank you, Jesus. I bless you all in Jesus' name for standing. Pray the Holy Spirit comes upon you right now. That he himself touch you. That he himself touch you. Yeah.